Welcome to Soul Rio, a church where God is made center, families made stronger, and lives restored. Today's sermon is entitled, The Good News, His Story, His Parables, presented by Pastor Jeff Zellner on September 1st, 2019. Stories you get to learn about me a little bit more. Um, and uh, But, you know, singing some of these songs just rem- reminding me, um, when we wake up in the morning, do we really anticipate that God has a plan for you and that you can make an impact uh, for his kingdom? And if we're just, if our heart is willing to be used by God, he will use us, period. Even me, this morning, I'm thankful that God's going to use something I say. There may be a sentence or a word or two that is going to connect. And uh, not because of anything that deep studying that I've done, but because it's by God and His grace. Uh, So this morning, as we mentioned, we're going to be jumping into Mark chapter 4. So if you guys want to open up uh, your Bible. Now you'll notice you don't have uh, a handout in your bulletin. And I admit that is my fault. Um, So you're going to have to pay close attention. But we're going to be uh, in Mark. We're going to be in Matthew and actually a lot of places. But man, we're we're going to start there. Um, And we're going to be going through uh, Mark chapter 4, 1 through 34, um, and speaking about parables this morning. And uh, so we're going to basically have four points. Uh, We're going to talk about what is a parable. We're going to be uh, talking about why did Jesus use parables. Uh, The third point is going to be how do these parables or teachings apply to us today. And then lastly, why are the parables important? Okay, so that's kind of where we're going this morning. And um, if you guys would just join me in a word of prayer this morning before we get started and we dig in. Appreciate it. Dearly Father God, we thank you for what you're going to do this morning. God, I thank you for... For using me, God, this morning, and uh, God, I pray that you would just, um, we would open up our ears, God, to hear you, God, that um, we want to know you, God, and through your stories, God, that you've uh, written down in your word, God, that you have a truth for us, many truths, God, and I pray that um, we would walk away changed this morning. So in your precious name we pray, amen. All right, so... We can start off with, this is about stories, okay? Well, I'm going to start off with a personal story. So, a few years back, okay, maybe more than a few, uh, Monica and I were, were newly married, and we were traveling around um, uh, mostly Texas looking at uh, colleges for our master's degree. We were already married. And um, so we were driving around, and I think we, were, we started down in Austin and tech, uh, looking at University of Texas and ended up driving up into Lubbock uh, to look at Texas Tech. And we didn't have a whole lot of money, so we camped. We, had, we were tent camping. And uh, um, so we kind of set up at a KOA, I think it was, or something. It was on the north side of town. And uh, I think we had... I don't know if it was the first night, second night, whatever. We were uh, planning to go to Texas Tech, check it out, her degree program, my degree program. We set up the tent, and uh, we're we're sleeping, and I think we were both dead asleep, and all of a sudden, we woke up, and the tent was shaking a little bit, and 
And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, I, 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 it was all of a sudden, the, take, the tent stakes pulled up out of the ground. That tent just collapsed on us. And we're like, oh, crud, what is going on? <laughs> and so we like, you know, try and find the zipper and open it up. And it's pouring down rain and the wind is blowing the, the rain sideways. And we're like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Okay, there was a, a building that had some lights on. Uh, it was kind of a community center that was in the campground. And we uh, kind of started gathering stuff up as much as we could, you know, and pulling it into that, to that building. And, uh, and we finally got everything in there and we stood there and it's like, wow, what was that? Well, we learned don't camp in West Texas in the fall. Because uh, we don't know if it was certainly a tornado or it was just something, but was a lesson we learned. Um, and we ended up going to Texas Tech, and we, we did not camp outside in the fall uh, again. Um, so anyway, uh, so Mark chapter 4, it's got uh, four parables in it. Uh, the parable of the sower, I think we're all familiar with that. The lamp under a basket, I wasn't as familiar with that. Parable of the seed growing. I wasn't really familiar with that one, either the parable of the mustard seed. I think we all probably have heard about that. So, um, so to give some context, in Mark chapter 4, uh, after Jesus had started his ministry around Jerusalem, he was teaching and performing miracles. Um, the Jewish religious leaders were confronting Jesus, challenging and accusing him uh, at every word and after every miracle he performed. So Jesus left the countryside, the lake, uh, for, for the countryside. He left the city and headed for the countryside, Lake Erie, where he began to speak to the crowds of people who gathered all around in parables. So there are more than, don't know the exact number, because de depending on how you categorize parables, there's more than 30 parables of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, and they're found almost exclusively in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Some are repeated amongst the Gospels, and some are, it can only be found in, in one. And then also something that I learned also, Matthew, in, in Matthew, when you read through the parables, there's a lot more detail given to those parables, where in Mark, there, he kind of has more summaries. And if you look at the books in themselves, um, uh, Mark was more concerned with the actions, the, the miracles, than just words. And so it kind of makes sense that he, he kind of summarized uh, them. So our first item, so what is a parable? So in order to kind of help frame what the parable is, I'm going to give you guys two examples uh, of what um, could be seen as a story or uh, a parable. First, uh, Aesop's Fables. Anyone, people have heard of Aesop's Fables? Oh, not very many. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read an uh, Aesop's Fable called The Bundle of Sticks. An old man on the point of death summoned his sons around him to give them some parting advice. He ordered his servants to bring in a bound bundle of sticks and said to his eldest son, break it. The son strained and strained, but with all his efforts, he was unable to break the bound bundle. The other sons also tried, but none of them were successful. The old man said, untie the binding, said the father, and each of you then take a stick. When they had done so, he called out to them, now break 
and each of them took a stick, and it was easily broken. You see my meaning, said the father. Union gives strength. Okay, good story, moral story that, you know, whenever there's a bunch of us together, we're strong. Individually, we can be broken. So now let's jump to Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 9. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. So what are some of the similarities between Aesop's fable and uh, this parable? So both of them uh, were used to teach something, a lesson. Both of them, I think you could say, were memorable. You know, hopefully leaving here today, you're going to be able to remember, okay, that was Aesop's fable about such and such, and you'll be able to think back about the sower and the seed and be able to, mem- uh, to know about what the basic context of what that was. They also used comparisons to convey a concept or a truth. So then what are the differences between them? Well, you could say that the fable had earthly significance among what we do every day a good moral, that there's strength in numbers, while the parable has eternal significance, which conveys that our hearts and minds need to be ready to receive the truth of Jesus. So, listen up. So, parables have been described as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So, I want to give you real quick just six characteristics that help identify a parable. It's a story with a plot, pretty simple. The story is not historical. The story is true to life and the author's day. So it's context uh, back when Jesus was um, during his ministry. The story is given to teach a truth, but not to entertain. Whereas my story at the beginning, to entertain. Ah, there's some truth in there. Hopefully you learn not to go camping in West Texas. So also, it's a series of comparisons or as as I was talking with uh, my family, Monica and Beth, um, Beth indicated comparisons or comparables. They didn't laugh, babe. (laughs) Maybe it's all in the delivery. So... Seen things, material things placed beside uh, unseen things to help review, reveal the truth. The, the ideas behind the unseen things. Lastly, Jesus and his parables, they're one. You can't have one without the other. Aesop and other philosophers taught stories, moral lessons, but their meanings were not tied to them like Jesus is to his parables. 
A lot of times in parables, you'll, they'll begin with, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God is like. So without Jesus, these parables have really no depth of meaning. Second point, why did Jesus use parables? Some things, they're easy to understand, right? And at some level, at surface level, they're pretty easy to understand. Farmers and fishermen uh, back then were not really well-educated people. So these were a good way to communicate and to tell uh, truths. They're easily remembered. We mentioned that just a minute ago. So who doesn't remember the parable of uh, the prodigal son, right? We, learned, we all learned it when we were either really little and, um, or maybe last week. Uh, but you, you remembered that story. It's very memorable. The parables were also used to teach Jesus' disciples. And just, just remember that his Jesus' disciples is not just the 12 apostles. It, there was a large group. We don't know how many, but there was a large group of people who were dedicated to following Jesus, who have professed Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And to help them gain understanding, understanding the truths. And also to keep the mysteries of Christ hidden from those who didn't believe, who chose not to believe. Let's go to Matthew 13, chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. Tells us the purpose of the parables. Again, Matthew 13, verses 10 through 13. So Jesus describes, Then the disciples came, came and said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Them, the group, the crowd. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Quickly, in the parallel in Mark, chapter 4, 10, verses 10 through 12, also says, And when he was alone, Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret to the kingdom of God. For those outside... Everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. So those who understand the saving grace of Jesus will be given more understanding. And those who reject the knowledge of Jesus, any understanding that they did have can be taken from them. They chose not to see not to hear, and therefore not understand. You don't need to turn here. It will be up on the screen. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 22 says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? The simple ones, fools, scoffers. The simple are the least harmful group. 
they live without thinking or are too lazy to change. I think we've got people in even our society that are like that. But they, like the others, will end up sorry because even them, the understanding will be taken from them. Fools have more smarts but have made a conscious decision to live by their own lights, their own understanding. Independent of God and independent of advice. Mockers, the worst of all, are the rebels against God who make their prideful position known to everyone. They mock God, but God will mock them in the end. When I think about these people who may never truly understand his story, Christ's story, the gospel, makes you sad, makes you wonder, you know, why? Why is their heart so hard? Their heart so hard. I mean, think about uh, the Pharisees. I think they were the mockers. You know, they knew the truth. They've heard, they taught it, but they really didn't accept it. They tried to take Jesus down almost every chance they could. And there's even a parable, uh, we're not going to go and speak much to it, where Jesus used a parable to um, convey to them that he knew that they were trying to take him down, take him out. And when Jesus spoke the parable, they're like, oh, wait a minute. Is he talking about us? About me? How dare him? Also, another reason Jesus used parables was because parables were a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah said in Matthew 13, 14, and 17, again, it'll be on the screen. I'm just going to read a small portion. It says, in them, the parables is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Also, parables were common in Judea, in Judaism. In the Old Testament, Nathan the prophet used a parable to reveal the sin of King David after he got, uh, he took Bathsheba. She became pregnant and had her husband, David had her husband killed. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7, here's the, the parable. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, brought, bought, sorry. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It was very dear to him. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against that man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. 
Nathan said to David, you are the man. Ouch. So how do these parables, these teachings, I think we can see there how it was used to uh, correct David, but how can we use these parables to apply to us today? I want to uh, tell you, you know, in preparing for uh, the message, um, digging into parables and, and what they are, I want to tell you about uh, something that, that hit me, that reminded me of the value of parables. Uh, in Matthew 20, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, there's a parable that speaks about fairness in God's economy. It's called the laborers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like, key, there's a parable, a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again into the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. At about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one's hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And then evening came. The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Hmm. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, the last, the least last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us and have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and, take and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Say what? Do you guys understand? Is this Jesus trying to explain a new economic strategy? I think there's been some stories about people that have tried this, uh, about taking all their workers and say, okay, we're going to pay everyone $100,000 a year. There's no difference. Well, no, Jesus wasn't trying to describe a new e economic theory. He was given a parable about grace and how you can't calculate the grace of God like you can a day's wages. I think we know, if you don't, we don't deserve God's grace. But we receive it as a gift from God. And we don't work to earn God's grace. A great example of this is a person who comes to God at the end of their life. Some of us may know someone like this. Like the robber on the cross. When Jesus was crucified, he had a robber 
to his left and to his right. And uh, one of them, it was in Luke 23, said, you're Jesus. And he understood who Jesus was at the very end of his life. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. And then you have others who, you know, I grew up going to church from when I was, a, well, a baby baby till now. And uh, is that fair? I know I'm going to heaven. Why is he going to heaven? He just accepted Christ at, at the very end. Well, that's God's economy. We all enjoy the same bit, ultimate benefits as someone who follows God from early childhood. So that was something that as I was reading, is a great reminder that just because I've been a believer since I was a little, little guy and someone else who has just accepted Christ, we're all God's children. We all deserve death, to be honest. We don't deserve to go to heaven, but because of God's grace, we all get that chance. So if we want to jump back into Mark chapter 4, verses 20 through 26 through 29, we're going to talk about the one of the parables that is a little less unknown, a little less known, the parable of the seed growing. Again, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. It's a short parable. It reads, and he said, the kingdom of God, there we go, good key about a parable, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. So when you're reading in Mark, there are some parables that Jesus explains the meaning. This is one of them where he doesn't. What do we do? Well, there's lots of clues. Uh, as you read through the various uh, parables, uh, the use of certain, the seed, he used a lot of agricultural terms. Um, that carry over from parable to parable. But you can, uh, so the parable is one that Jesus didn't explain its meaning as he had in others, but it can be seen as an expansion possibly of the first parable in, in chapter four uh, regarding the sower and the seed that we read. When the seed, God's word, is sown on the good soil, our receptive heart. This parable is comparing a seed's growth process with that of the maturity process in a believer's heart. I thought the, probably the best way to try and break down, in, in my words, um, this parable, and break it down into three concepts, and they sound, they're going to sound like big words, but they're, they're, they're not. They're, I'll make them real simple, of justification, sanctification, and glorification. So justification simply is the acceptance of God's word or God's truth in our hearts, and that's the seed. So this is complete at once. I think, Floyd, you've mentioned this before. Someone's mentioned this before. A simple way, justified, 
if you break down that word, I should have typed it up here. Justified, never sinned. We accepted Christ and we were justified. That sin is no more. So that's accepting. That's a seed that's been planted in our heart and we accept that. Sanctification. I think this is where the real meat is in this parable. It's where the part of our spiritual maturity that encompasses most of our lives. In this parable, this is when he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. This is, I believe, the working out of our salvation during our lives. And it's in our daily lives. We don't really understand everything God does to mature us in our belief, uh, in our, our faith. But it happens. There, I think if you were to maybe ask your spouse, maybe ask others that you've been around for a long time um, and say, you know what, have I, have you seen me grow? Have you seen me change? Because a lot of times we don't perceive it. I would hope people would say, you know what, I have seen you change. I've seen you, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I challenge you if, if you, to ask people around you that. And if they, someone tells you honestly, no, I haven't, maybe you need to self-examine. And maybe that soil, your life, or that seed's been planted, that you're, you're not allowing it to grow. So this is sanctification. It's more of a marathon and not a sprint. So glorification, this is the harvest. It is the future and final work of God upon Christians where he transforms our mortal physical bodies to the eternal physical bodies in which we'll dwell forever. In this parable, another way to maybe simply remember its value is that it's our job to throw it. It's God's job to grow it. Right? So, lastly, why are parables important? So I think that I know God wants to meet us where we're at and our understanding and our maturity. He doesn't want to just leave us there. He wants us to understand that his word is alive and active yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It changes us. I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 and 25. says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Those parables, those truths God's word stands forever. That's why it's important. And even we turn to Hebrews 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It changes us if we allow it to. To put it simply, there are those who don't have an intent or regard for understanding God's word. And there may be some of you here who don't really have that intent to learn, to understand, to grow in understanding. So then we ask again, why did Jesus speak in parables? To those who had a genuine hunger for God, the parables are both effective and memorable vehicles to tell and explain truths. Truths of God. In Psalm 25, 14, it says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Also, when it talks about the friendship, they mention in other uh, versions, mysteries. The mysteries of the Lord is made known to those of us who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. So again, why are parables important? We want to be known, we want to know the mysteries of God. We want to know and understand him. And even when we refer back to this isn't going to be up on your screens, but we look back at Mark chapter 4 verses 10 through 12. It says you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God to those who listen. To those let them hear. Jesus' parables contain deep and weighty truths and very few words. And they're made up of memorable imagery. So then the parable is a blessing to those of us who are willing to listen. But for those with dull hearts and ears that are slow to hear, the parable is also an instru instrument of both judgment and mercy. So this morning... It's a call for us to dig in, dig deep, understand, and draw closer to God through developing the deeper understanding of not only parables, but also of His Word. So are you allowing God's Word to change you? Are you in His Word? Are you allowing, as you read, Parables, or if you're reading other portions of Scripture, are you allowing it to, to change your heart? I challenge you that if you're in His Word, it's going to change you. You may not know, you may not see it happen immediately, but God's going to mature you. Let's, let's pray. Dear Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for these, these parables, God, that Jesus spoke. It's a great way, God, to, to reach people who want to understand. 
God, I pray that um, in our hearts, God, in our minds, that we choose to allow you to change us. I pray that you would allow us to be a light to those around us. God, I pray that there may be some people around us who are choosing not to hear, not to listen. I pray that you would use us, God, to, to help them see the, the error in their ways, God, and to help change their, their hearts, that you would change them. I do believe, God, that it is your desire, God, that everyone come to know you. God, I thank you for your son Jesus and his time here on earth. The opportunity that we have now to read about his ministry and how he ministered to people. I pray we will continue that ministry today, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us your economy and that we don't have to earn our way to heaven. That is by grace, your grace, God, that we just accept and we have eternal life. In your precious name we pray. Thank you for listening, and we pray you were blessed by today's message. You're invited to worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For directions and information about Sol Rio and our weekly events, please visit our website at solrio.com. You may also contact us by phone at area code 505-792-8737 or email us at info at soulrio.com. At Soul Rio, we're a community of followers of Jesus Christ, committed to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope to our community. We invite you to go with us on this journey.